0: The
1: Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. cut. It was the first day of June in Los Angeles.
2: Right as L.A. was coming out of lockdown, before they went back into lockdown, so there was like this brief moment where people were coming out of their houses after a few months of sitting at home.
1: And as soon as journalist Michelle Luke stepped outside her house, she walked like three blocks, and suddenly she was swarmed surrounded from all sides by hundreds of people. And this is LA, so that meant that one, this was an unusual amount of pedestrians, and two, everyone was really, really well-dressed.
2: And I was like, wait, this literally feels like a music festival. Like this kind of energy with all of these looks, like there were so many amazing looks coming out and like the signs were super funny.
1: But it wasn't a festival. It was a protest
2: there was a huge protest with like a hundred thousand people down my street on hollywood boulevard which had been organized by black lives matter but also the rapper yg and he was filming his music video fuck donald trump at the protest and so i basically stumbled across that protest because i was leaving my house And all of a sudden, there were, like, waves and waves of people carrying signs. And that protest got a huge backlash on social media because people were calling it, you know, protest cella.
1: Michelle used to report on raves and nightlife. But in 2020, that beat dovetailed with protest movements.
2: Through the rave connections that have directed me to, like, the right activists to to be looking up, you know, there is this sort of intersection between rave culture and, and political protest culture. And I believe in the political power, the subversive power of dance and of marginalized bodies coming together in resistance, in unity, finding connection with each other.
1: But protest cello was the first time that Michelle felt confused with the tension between pleasure and protest. She felt like she was at a festival, but she didn't feel it would be appropriate to say that. The politics of partying were kind of fraught here. What counts as a protest, and who gets to decide? Since that day in June, Michelle has been traveling across the country, going to protests in different cities to try to find answers.
2: I was at this 24-hour march. The protesters had been swimming in the, in the fountain of Washington Square Park and then blasting music and dancing to Whitney Houston. Like, it was a beautiful, joyous moment.
1: And then, two or three hours into that protest Michelle was at, in New York City, it suddenly took a turn.
2: And then all of a sudden, you, they turned a corner and an unmarked van just pulled up.
1: All at once, police came up and swarmed around a young woman. Some emerged out of a van and others rode up on bicycles to clear the way. It was this really fast, coordinated effort. What the fuck was that? What the fuck is wrong with you? The journalist Michelle Luke tweeted out a video of this interaction, and it went very, very viral. Around this time, similar arrests were happening in Portland and Seattle, where protesters were being snatched off the street by anonymous uniformed or plainclothes mystery people into unmarked vans. And because of this video, there was a collective fervor to identify this teenager in New York and make sure she was released and safe.
3: Cuomo stood up for me. De Blasio was kind of iffy on standing up for me. You know, De Blasio's kind of a bitch, honestly. Um, Cuomo's, you know, Cuomo's all right, but he's still kind of a bitch, too.
1: This is Stickers.
3: Hi, I'm Stickers.
1: Stickers was released a few hours after she was whisked away into a van in that viral video. Right away, a GoFundMe was made on her behalf and it reached $45,000.
3: I mean, if they really wanted to arrest me, they should have done it with uniformed officers, put me inside and followed policy. You know, no one deserves to get kidnapped. NYPD doesn't
4: kidnap anybody. You mean the lady who got arrested? Yeah. She was arrested quickly. It's like an arrest warrant if you have a known person.
1: You gotta do is see him. Grab him. Detective Felicia Richards is the president of the NYPD Guardians Association, the first black fraternal organization within the police department. Detective Richards wasn't there on the scene when Stickers was arrested, but of course, she knew about it.
4: She, this is the person who had been spraying all of the CCTV. The logic that the police
1: gave for this encounter was that in late June, during an occupation of City Hall, stickers had spray painted a bunch of surveillance cameras.
4: This woman disabled that camera by spraying spray paint on it. So that's re- that that type of reckless behavior and damage to to, to property, to the police property.
3: Are we really gonna use that force for you know like some fucking teenager with a can of you know with paint? Like come on, like are 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 the poor like cops hurt that I hurt that I covered the cam was like come on. Okay, first of all, she's spraying all of the
4: cameras so that — for what purpose? —
3: Everybody was going out on the street to protest, and I just wanted to make sure, you know, nobody get you know, they don't, like, use mass surveillance against the people. —
1: So stickers knew what she was doing. She knew there was
4: a warrant out for her. —
3: I kind of figured I already knew what they were grabbing me up for.
4: What she did was what they call vandalism, was called criminal mischief. She's identifiable. Her face was caught on CCTV. They know who she was. And in a crowd, you don't have a lot of time to say, excuse me, um, we're just coming for her. Ma'am, could you come this way? That doesn't work
3: that way. You didn't identify yourselves. You just grabbed me the fuck up and, you know, didn't read me my rights. I remember I was wearing, like, this trouser, and so sometimes the slap straps slip off and my tits are out. So, like, my tits were out. My hair was all up in my face. I remember I got hit a few times inside the van.
4: It just looked more, more aggressive. It just looked very aggressive, but at the end of the day, um, you have, a, it's a split to figure out what you want to do. You see her, you grab her, you get her, and you get her out.
3: I mean, it was pretty shitty, but like it definitely wasn't the worst I've had or seen or experienced, but it was just shitty. I don't know. Like when you see a cop in the world, Or
1: when you see a cop at a protest, do you yell at them? Or are you just going to like,
4: do you try to ignore them? Like, what is your approach to the cops now?
3: No, I'll still flip them off and say, fuck 12.
4: We get it. We know this is the the mantra, but there has to be, from the protest, there has to be a plan. What happens next? You cannot push, push this forward going point to point. There has to be a plan of action in place. I mean, that's an interesting
1: question. Does there need to be a plan of action for it to be a protest? Or is it enough to just want to be out in the street to cry or to dance or to chant or spray paint without a plan?
3: It's just like, how can everybody be okay with police beating black people and killing black people and your planet fucking dying? And like, you know, America's like a third world country with like a Gucci belt.
4: We need to, it needs to be organized. If it's going to be organized, let it be organized. What is the end goal? What's the end game? But don't you think that this is just civilians demanding the same
1: degree of perfection from law enforcement that law enforcement is demanding from protesters?
4: What what, what, what level of perfection are we asking from protesters?
1: The things you said, like have a plan, have a leader, like have a directive, have some goals, you know, like get organized.
4: Again, um, because you know what, again, I'm saying... So, so the pro- protesters are just that they they just march. Even protest protests have a have an, have, a, have, a, have a have a goal. There's a goal in protesting. It's not just, or is it, or is it? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Is the is it is the expectation of the protesters just protest, just to create a situation of uncomfortability for the city, for the state, for the government with no real end goal in sight, just to protest? What do you protest?
1: You know, you're, like, grieving or you're celebrating or you're feeling some sort of forward motion together as people. But
4: why is that, a, why is that then called a protest? So
2: everything is just really complicated right now.
1: Journalist Michelle Luke again.
2: There's this sort of really strong impetus, I think, to be visible. Um, as part of this fight and how important that visibility is right now, um, especially at a time when the attention economy is, like, so important.
1: And the thing is, what is the best way to garner that attention? I want it to be the dance parties and the spontaneous fountain bathing. But, of course, that's not what makes the headlines. It was stickers getting ferried away in an unmarked van.
2: I mean, there's something to be said about peaceful protest, but I also think that the protests that get the most attention seem to be the one where shit goes down.
1: And in this case, who was starting the shit? To the authorities, it was stickers. That spraying the CCTV cameras wasn't the correct form of protest.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that people are definitely struggling with and sort of trying to figure out right now, like, is there a right way to protest?
1: And there might be, but it might not look like the way that people in the United States have protested in the past. After the break. It's almost become a cliche that Gen Z is just like the best.
5: All right, look at Greta Thunberg and Malala, uh, Mari Company, a.k.a. Little Miss Flint. She's been fighting for clean water in her city since she was six years old. She's 12 now. That's producer B.A. Parker. She's going to take it from here. I've been protesting for almost 20 years. When I was a teenager, it was to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and to impeach Bush and to reduce prescription drug prices. Once I got detention because I showed up to school in a handmade t-shirt that said, I'm afraid of Americans. In college, I went to rallies and marches and protests for sexual assault survivors, Gena 6, more impeach Bush rallies, and the stopping of local gentrification efforts. In my 20s, I marched through Union Square with a broken ankle in a boot to demand justice for Trayvon Martin, only to fall in the street and have a white protester yelling at me to get out of the way. Now in my 30s, I didn't protest this past summer, or last week. It wasn't for any ideological reasons. I didn't want a chance getting sick when I wanted to visit my folks. I also felt guilty, like I'm not doing enough. And honestly... Years of waking up every morning and having to demand that my humanity be affirmed takes its toll. It almost feels like we're all just chopping up kindling with a plastic spork. Yet there's this glowing refrain that keeps popping up telling us not to worry because Gen Z will save
0: us. I don't like the statement Gen Z will save us because it's like Gen Z's tired. I want a nap. Like, you know, like, we're tired, um, you know, we're trying to go to school. Wait, did you guys have school today? No. No. School starts next week for me. I don't
2: have school on Fridays.
5: So.
0: You don't have school on Fridays? That's so weird.
5: In early August, I chatted with a couple of students from March for Our Lives, a student-run organization that was created after the Parkland shootings in 2018.
2: I'm Nora abdul I'm a part of the March for Lives Youth Congress. Um, I'm 16. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. My name
0: is Linnea Stanton. I am the Midwest Regional Organizing Director for March for Our Lives. Uh, I'm from Minnesota originally, but I go to school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
5: Okay, so Linnea and Nora are in a chain of command. March for Our Lives doesn't actually have a leader. There's a board that comes to consensus. They agree on their movement's agenda and who does what. And then Linnea is able to pass
0: along those goals to the eight states that she directs. Instead of everybody trying to go to this one person, you have multiple people who can kind of take on leadership. And that's really for the importance of like delegating tasks and creating roles and responsibilities.
5: Which from the outside is hard to sort of grasp. Who's the leader? That's what detractors say about Black Lives Matter and March for Our Lives. There's no Dr. King or Gloria Steinem or Cesar Chavez. How can they be serious without a leader? I mean, from the outside, it all just kind of looks like chaos. I
2: come from an organizing family, but uh, they are very cautious, especially for me as a young Black Muslim hijab-wearing woman. Um, I think the biggest thing for them is, for me, just to stay in contact with them at all times, um, just to make sure that, you know, they know that I'm coming home alive. Because I feel like every Black parent has to have the talk with their kid, um, especially organizing, you know.
5: Then a week after our interview, Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times. Just 45 minutes from Linnea's college campus.
0: I call Linnea again. Wisconsin has like literally started on fire since we last talked. Yeah. Like we physically started on fire. As
5: the Midwest Regional Organizing Director of March for Our Lives, Linnea oversees not only Wisconsin, but Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. And they all swung into action.
0: Like on that Monday, we made over 800 calls, driving about 200 Wisconsin residents, asking them to like having 200 Wisconsin residents calling um, the Department of Justice and asking them to you know arrest and fire the cops who were involved with Jacob Blake's shooting.
5: They called the governor. They called the mayor. They sent
0: emails. We were like, okay, this is our this is our game plan. We're gonna do a petition. We're gonna do a press conference. We're gonna do a digital rally. We're gonna do an in-person rally. Great. And then that night is when um, the white supremacist shot and killed two protesters and shot another one. And then we so were like, OK, well, now we have to bring in this situation into those like list of action items that we had.
5: And I was still kind of amazed at how they could leap into action right away like this. I mean, a one day news cycle can feel like three weeks and these students have to turn around and react on a dime. Like how do you maintain some kind of consistency and have like a united front and be able to
0: engage in activism in like an impactful way? In March of 2019, um, this man named Marshall Gans came to Parkland and did a like organizing retreat thing, and it like changed my whole life.
5: <laughs> Marshall Gans is a political theorist, and he talked to the Parkland student organizers about a radically different way to organize without a leader.
6: What often happens in movements is that they've experienced as oppressive, and so there's a tendency to say, we don't need structure.
5: Professor Marshall Ganz is a senior lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government.
6: Usually when you say structure, people react right away like, oh, it's a bad word, it's oppressive and all that. All structure is, is agreements about how we're gonna decide things, how we're gonna work together, how we're going to hold ourselves accountable without which you can't really do much. Yeah,
5: but the structure sounds like it takes so long. Like, how am I supposed to get on five separate hour-long Zoom meetings to coordinate a course of action, when, case in point, there is a white supremacist shooting people at a protest, or there's another gut-wrenching police video, and I just need to react right away.
6: But it's a problem in movements to sort of take that step. There's a... There's a a notion of freedom from and freedom to, and sometimes we're so focused on freedom from what we're trying to get out from under that we forget that we have to create our own ways of operating to realize the freedom to which we aspire.
5: Professor Gans believes that a shared purpose can be a motivating force, not a person.
6: Do the work to establish a shared purpose Uh, Be very clear about roles, about how people are going to govern themselves, so that it could actually work just as well as an athletic team works.
5: And then each team member could then develop their own team, and then each of them could develop their own team, and so forth.
6: And you get a kind of cascade of leadership. And so when we began drawing pictures of that, somebody said, oh, this looks like a snowflake, because... There's, the like, say, a core of five people with a dot there, and then there's another sets of fives and sets of fives, and then it grows out that way. And it isn't without leadership.
5: And yes, I'm fully aware of just how on the nose in our current climate anything with the word snowflake can be interpreted. But it's a nice visual, and it counters the way a lot of leadership functions, which is as a central dot that everyone
0: reports to. Right. But the snowflake model, there are multiple dots and there are people reporting to multiple dots and the dots are working together.
5: Although the snowflake structure is a best case scenario, it's the ideal, because what tends to happen in activist movements is what feminist scholar Joe Freeman calls the star system. The public looks for spokespeople to attach to someone who can neatly embody everything about the movement. I mean, we saw this at the start of the leaderless March for Our Lives movement itself, where some star speakers got thrust out to the front and became public figureheads.
0: The people in the government who are voted into power
5: are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and are prepared to call BS. But in most cases, these so-called stars aren't selected by the movement. It's that the press loves them. I mean, you wouldn't have a CNN panel without them. It's why a lot of liberal celebrities on Twitter retweet Sean King's police shooting videos while their Black followers are begging them to use more discretion because they're triggering as hell. It's like the protesting has become almost as exhausting as the violence itself. When the Breonna Taylor verdict was announced and people were outraged, once again always again. Even I was masochistic enough to believe some kind of justice would be served, whatever that idea of justice even means anymore. I never truly understood when Fannie Lou Hammer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired until this summer. And I finally grasped how far I could be stretched emotionally before I'd be ready to snap. And I'll be honest with y'all, I'm ready. What's happening to marginalized people, myself included, is suffering. Me having to explain my suffering on a podcast is still suffering. Now, I... I don't fault the New York City Detective Richards for wanting protesters to have a plan. We all want a plan. I wish there was a plan. The other night, I Googled to find a definitive guide to being a protester, and I couldn't find one. There is none. There is no right way to grieve and beg for your humanity. And when police officers are the ones regulating how protesters protest, dictating what is correct, what is good trouble, and what isn't, it is a self-eating snake choking its prey. And at the end of the day, protesters are just people. They weren't elected for this. Protesters are being asked what they are protesting for, what they want, what the plan of action is. Literally, for Black Lives Matter and March for Our Lives, it is for the right not to be killed. To live and feel some sense of comfort. And maybe that shouldn't need a plan. Maybe that can look like a dance party. Mm
1: This episode was written and produced by B.A. Parker and me. Edited by Alison Berringer. Mixed and scored by Jason Valerio. Special thanks to Karinza Kadinas and Sangita Singh Kurtz. You can read Michelle Luke's newsletter about the intersecting futures of nightlife, weed, and counterculture at ravenewworld.substack.com. Stella Bugby and Nishat Kirwa are the executive producers. The Cut is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Thanks for listening.